Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yes! What's up with the musical theater version of Welcome to Dragon Talk? I, I, you know, I was just listening to uh, um, Welcome to the Internet uh, from Bo Burnham, and so you know, kind of oh. fit a little bit there. This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Yeah, it is. Slash musical theater podcast. I am <laughs> Craig Tito. And I'm joined by Shelly Mazzanova. Hi, Shelly. Hey, hi. She just brandished a tape measure at me. I do you just love to play with tape measures? They're very fun. They really are. Yeah. <laughs> as do my kids. And then they bend them and they break and then I have to buy new ones. Or they can like snap back quickly and scare the crap out of you. Yep. That happens too. Slice your hand open. There's I many things. I can't tell you how many times a week I Look for my tape measure. I'm always seems to be measuring something. Well, you know, they got that little clip. You can just like kind of clip oh, them on. Oh my God, on my belt loop here. On your belt loop in the morning and then yep. you'll always have it. Now I'm like a little handy person. Oh, yeah, let me get that for handy. you. Here you go. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. Tape measures are just very useful. This Dragon Talk podcast is going to be all about upholstery and how you can use your tape measure to... <laughs> Improve your life. This this podcast is brought to you by Allied Quick Roll Tape Measure. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we need, some totally irrelevant sponsors that just have nothing to do with nothing. It's called non-endemic sponsors, not totally irrelevant. Yeah, I didn't mean to call them that because... I just spent five very minutes relevant. talking about how, how relevant they are. They really are. This is so interesting for everyone. Well, it does have a wargaming uh, through line where back in the day when you were measuring space between miniatures, you used an actual tape measure so to, there. to measure it. So we'll say that's the connection. There you go. But we have another fun connection with yes. another form of gaming here on this podcast, this episode. We're talking to Corey Bowen, game designer at Wizards of the Coast, who worked on Magic the Gathering and their brand new spankin' Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate set. That's right. It's another Magic the Gathering set, all based on Dungeons & Dragons and a setting and a city y'all know and love from Mm -hmm. video games to uh, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Mm -hmm. Baldur's Gate. To a Dungeon Mayhem Expansion by the same name. To a board game uh, in which there was some betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Still one of my favorite games, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. It's good. So good. Looking at it on my shelf right now. Wow. Yeah. Can't you see? Murder. Through the magic of audio? Murder. (laughs) Murder. Murder. Yeah, that was a creepy board game. Yeah. Yeah. Cultists yeah. and death abound in that one. Lots um, of betraying. And like, I mean, that setting was just really quite perfect for Yeah. And, uh, and Corey work. comes on to talk all about how those elements of D&D and Baldur's Gates uh, are in the more than 300 cards in this set. That's a huge amount of cards. Uh, and so following on the footsteps of Adventures of the Forgotten Realms, which brought a whole bunch of D&D concepts and themes to 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 magic, you know. Here's 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 the next evolution. Yes. And and brought to you by a very uh, big D&D fan, just somebody who loves and appreciates both games so much, which I think is obviously a huge bonus to 
yeah. designing the set. So we know we have it. a lot of crossover there. People who are, you know, Magic the Gathering fans have loved seeing the books like Strixhaven and Theros and yes. Ravnica uh, in the D and D Il Milieu. Il Milieu. I don't know what that is, but it's Il sounds... Milieu. That's what it is. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a lot of sense there. Uh, but I love that Magic the Gathering is now doing it too, bringing Dungeons and Dragons stuff over. And uh, the format that Commander Legends is all about, uh, Corey gives a, a great explanation to. And so it even feels a little bit more like Dungeons and Dragons with you know four people around a table kind of having a yeah. collaborative slash competitive storytelling experience. Yes, exactly. Fun stuff. Very yeah. cool. Uh, so look for that. Uh, and then, of course, we have an amazing Meet Your Monster segment coming up with our friend Dan Dillon about oh. some uh, extremely smelly slash farty monsters. What? The flutes. I didn't know that about them. Oh, well, we're about to find out. Let's welcome Dan Dillon back to Meet Your Monster. Thank you for having me back again. I love being here. Well, thanks for introducing us to all these fun monsters. Absolutely. And we have a fun monster group to get in now with Flumps. Weirdos. Jellyfish (laughs) flying gas bags. (laughs) Do you still have your flump on your microphone, Greg? I do, in fact. There he is. Amazing. Oh, Uh, love a flump. In fact, I'm going to make a motion to remove flumps from the monster manuals because well, they're not yeah. monsters. They're There's just, friends in the monster manual too. It's, the fact know. that they have a stat block makes me nervous. Unicorns also have a stat block. Angels and unicorns have stat blocks. I know, but so can we clerks. put like maybe a like a yes. a disclaimer in there that's just like don't hit one of these. Aww. Not, not. Ever. I mean, their their entry is pretty full of these are just great guys, and they they want to help you. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves because we are going to meet these monsters, flumps. What are they? We yeah. gas bags. They're 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 friends. What are, what yeah. what? what are uh, they? They're 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 weird little dudes. They're um they're these they're aberrations first of all, but they're also typically lawful good. So they are very um, kind-hearted, sort of oh. community-minded uh, oh. aberrations. They're psychic. They're very psychic, actually. Uh, and they have this sort of, you know, they just keep mentally in touch. They're very emotionally and empathically open. So they're very caring. Uh, and they feed off of ambient psychic energy from psionic creatures. So they really just want everybody to be happy and cool. They really do, yeah. And uh, they sort of have this, um, their their telepathy is very advanced and very open. And so they sort of, as they feed on the energy from psychic people or creatures, they kind of pick up bits of their thoughts and personality so they learn about them. Uh, and that can be pretty rough depending on who they're feeding on. Uh, say, you know, you have a group of flumps that are feeding on a colony of mind flayers who are super psychically active, but also probably uh, not the best things going on in those particular alien mines. Uh, that's pretty rough for the poor flumps, even though it's an abundant food source. Um, yeah. So because they pick up, you know, the echoes and the flavors of all of that that's happening in the mind flayer mind. 
Um, you like when you say feed off of like you literally mean like this is how they sustain is, themselves. That is their sustenance. Yeah, they don't eat or drink normally. They they consume the sort of ambient psychic energy that uh, psychic creatures give off of people's thoughts, um, of people's yeah, feelings. Yeah, they're kind of like a, a they're described as passive parasites, but it's to the point where they don't um, they don't really harm the creatures that they feed off of. It's almost like picking up sort of the. Uh, uh, the extra sort of waste psychic stuff that radiates off of them as they do their normal psychic things. They just sort of absorb what, what gets projected out into the world. Um, and they're, so they're aberrations. So they're, they're kind of like beholders in that they just, yeah. they just came into being. And yeah, they're kind are... of alien creatures. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we know too much about their origin. Uh, <clears throat> so that, that's uh, something that's shrouded in a little bit of mystery or question marks, but uh, we know that, uh, when you're talking about aberrant creatures, aberrations, the far realm tends to be involved. So they might have been something that spawned from that place that is just so alien and weird. And they just happened to be on the kinder side of the alien weirdness that came out of it. <laughs> yeah. Do they have enemies? Like, I mean, they hang around mind flayers or they're probably found around so, mind flayers. But. Yeah, uh, they... Well, like it says, uh, they are they are kind-hearted creatures in general, uh, and so they tend to gravitate towards people who are of a of a sort of like-minded bent, um, and they are willing to sort of rat out the the wicked creatures that they're feeding on, even if it's going to cost them a food source. So oh, they'll okay. you know they'll find adventurers and be like, hey, mind flayers over here, maybe please help even though that means they'll have to move on if the mind flayers are driven out and uh, and have to find something else they can feed off of. And, and how often do they have to feed? Uh, you know, I don't know that uh, we have any, like, specific clock on that, but it's just sort of, you know, you probably need an everyday kind of thing. It's okay. just think of it as a psychic replacement for food. It's not like a mealtime. It's just like a... Yeah, it's not like a mealtime. They just, as long as they're getting a little bit every day, they'll be okay. And, you know, they could go without a little bit and get a little hungry, but, uh, you know. They'll be yeah. all right. And fifth edition players probably might have been introduced to Fumps in uh, the Underdark. Uh, exactly. Yeah, that is that is typically abyss. where these creatures hang out. Um, and it's no coincidence that the Underdark tends to sport most of your sort of uh, material world-based psionic races. So, you know, you got uh, Durgar, the Swerf Neblin, the... the you know, mind flayers, all those, all those folk tend to, to live deep, deep under the ground. And so uh, I believe out of the abyss, you can run into some flumps uh, if you played that adventure uh, in all that underdark shenaniganry. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good place to run into them. And, uh, and, they, and they make for a fun hook to, uh, to encounters where you, you, know, you run into a, a group of flumps is called a cloister. So you run into a cloister of flumps and uh, they kind of flit around you, making this little airy puff noise. That's where they get their name from. That's how they move around. They're sort of these buoyant jellyfish things with little eye stalks and, and little tentacles and through the air. Oh, yeah. They'll uh, they'll sort of come and say hello and uh, pick up whatever vibes you're putting out there. And if they get the feeling that you're that you're safe friend material, they can warn you about the the nasty stuff that's up ahead or ask you for help. Or uh, point you towards friendly communities of uh, of other creatures that they know are around. They're they're interesting critters. Um, and they they stink. Though. They sure do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of their main modes of defense is uh, this stinky, terrible, awful stench spray, so they can kind of skunk spray you. <laughs> 
They're basically fart I never monsters, knew. which I love. They are, they are, they are little fart friends. Yep, <laughs> little fart friends. Oh, like all the pets friends. you've loved your entire life. My little, and fart they change friend. color based on their moods. They're adorable, like a mood ring. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, I love these creatures because they can be used by dungeon masters as quest givers, as you know, a saving grace when uh, players don't have any friends in the underdark. This is the Absolutely. one. As you said, good aligned, yeah. you know, uh, a monster that they might encounter. Yeah, they're they're very much a little light in the dark, right? Where uh, where you can you can find some friends in in unexpected places, um, and there there's a lot of interesting things you could do with them because they are they are telepathic and psionic on, on their own, and uh, they have this ability that makes them blank to other telepathy and other detection effects. They are completely immune to divination spells, so you can't like find them if they're hiding and, and don't really want to be found. You can't oh. contact their mind unless they want you to. You can't read their thoughts. So they're basically just psychic blanks and invisible to, to things like mind flayers, again, that rely on sort of those tricks and those senses. So they make great spies. Uh, they would make pretty amazing couriers, right? If you had a, if you had a flump who uh, carried secure information or parcels for you, nobody could use magic to track them. <laughs> that is good is this yeah. so could you use them if like you needed your players to learn about something and like they just weren't getting it like if the players oh, were yeah. like oh i don't know i'm just gonna keep walking and you're like no the clue was right here could you just be they, like a flump appears <laughs> yeah you know they could be a cool little point of exposition right if mm -hmm. there's flumps sort of near the the villain and has been picking up little bits of secrets here and there and might know things like, hey, there's a secret door that everybody blew their perception checks to try and find, right? <laughs> right. That's really key <laughs> yeah, to this adventure. Yeah, you could do a lot of cool things with them. And uh, uh, one of my favorite things is one is being used, I, we have announced Flapjack, who is in oh. the uh, the Spelljammer adventure, Light of Xerixis, who Obsessed. is a, a little flump space pirate. <laughs> That they with just keep patch. getting better and better. Yeah, with the, with the little pirate hat and everything. Uh, I love how Flapjack is used in that adventure because uh, it's a little non-standard for where you would normally see a flump. I mean, first of all, you're out in space. Um, Mind Flayer is still a big concern out in wild space. So, uh, so, so they have that angle there. But Flapjack is actually the spell jammer for the vessel that you encounter him on. Uh, meaning that he is the the one who pilots the ship. He sits in the helm in the chair because he's a spellcasting flump. He has a little bit of uh, a little bit of arcane talent, and uh, and is is in charge of maneuvering the ship around. Which is which is non common amongst uh, flump, right? Yeah. Not, they don't yeah, usually that, take levels of anything or become correct. Yeah, they they don't uh, they don't come out of the box with any spellcasting ability. So he's a little bit of a unique twist. But it you know. Just adding, I'd say it's like apprentice wizard sort of level proficiency with magic and just sort of sprinkling that onto the stat block now opens up this whole thing where, you know, you, you have a pirate flump that is flying your spaceship. Uh, I mean, why not? <laughs> amazing. And that's not even the weirdest thing you'll find in Spelljammer. But. Oh, not even close. But, but that's a weird thing that's nicely on your side for once. <laughs> I know. I was telling you before the interview, my, my character that I'm playing – in our Spelljammer game, uh, Jelly Goo, the plasmoid, um, is is obsessed with um, Flapjack and is president of Flapjack's fan club. And I, I have, I entirely. encountered, we found Flapjack and 
I got like my heart started racing. I got real <laughs> excited, like in All real life. Flustered like, and starstruck. Oh my god, it's Blackjack! <laughs> I just keep trying to talk to him, and he's like, "I'm I'm busy. I am literally like piloting the ship. Please go sit down." <laughs> so, like so. real life. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm awkward and over enthusiastic to the point where people tell me to go away. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, art imitating uh, life again. Yep, yep. <laughs> and I just turned back into my pile of goo. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, flumps. I, flumps I are love amazing. flumps so much because, you, as you said, you can use them in so many different fun yeah. ways. I think in the uh, uh, Extra Life game I ran in the out, out of the Abyss era, I had the flumps all go together as some type of ball and then be able to use their... Um, their air to spin towards uh, and then travel fast and end up uh, oh, cool. because they because they had that mind black ability they were able to get uh, closer to where the demon lords were uh, and uh, wreak some havoc there. That's awesome. Yeah, a lot of rule <laughs> of cool was invoked in that, uh, but it was super fun. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And they're just they're just such a weird out of the box little critter that they lend themselves to. Even when you use them in what would be an otherwise normal sort of adventure role, it just suddenly becomes uh, just, just fresh, right? Because <laughs> your quest giver isn't you know the the person in the hood at a tavern. It's this little cheerful floating jellyfish, <laughs> a whoopee cushion, uh, yeah. with yeah. with a heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and they, uh, I love too that you, we mentioned that they're psychic, but that just means they're not actually talking to you. They're actually, you know, yep. psychically communicating with you and not on an individual basis, or they, they can be individuals, but they, they also they can yeah. do so on a collective basis too, which... Yeah, and they are, are very collectivist sort of in their own mindset. So they kind of come together in those groups and they don't really have hierarchies or leaders. Everybody has sort of their their role, their purpose in the group, and everyone just sort of uh, fulfills that, but in a way that's kind of synergistic and harmonious with everybody around them because they're always kind of in touch and open with each other. So, yeah, they're a, they're a, they're a sophisticated folk that, uh, you know, have advanced philosophy and mathematics and, and all of this. Yeah. Wait, oh, yeah. they do? They're, yeah, they're little, they're little philosophers. Yep. <laughs> they're sort of like ancient Greeks in, in farting psychic jellyfish form. <laughs> This is amazing. I don't. I mean, I I don't know that for a fact, but it seems like a lot of people just think they're cute and they they're just like not serving much of a purpose. But it's they're very intelligent. There's a lot you could do with these. Yeah, like imagine replacing the you know the sages or the ancient civilization in whatever adventure you're using with groups of flumps, and you know they still they can still hit all those same notes and fulfill the same role, but they do it in such a such a strange and different and just eye-catching way that you could have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, yeah. And so much of what we encounter in this game is based on folklore, it's based mm-hmm. on, on on stories and legends that have been handed down in our cultures. Yeah. Not flumps. Nope. Flumps are <laughs> made uh, the Nope. By, by they are. Dragons players. They are strange new things. Yes. <laughs> no infringement here. This is just what are they? I mean, like, but really, where did this whose mind did these come from? I think their first appearance was in uh, don't hold me to this because I haven't triple checked it, but I think it was in the Fiend Folio. That's funny. 
We we yeah, we go look at old Lori Shadows. I think we covered yeah. this. Did with you Chris cover that at okay. one time? Uh, but I just love that they're making this you know reascendance here during Spelljammer, yeah. and uh, Flapjack is a great way to be able to use so uh, them. And then we've come up with all these other fun ways that you can insert some some friendly critters into your yeah. spend, into your spend games. a little time the next time you're doing your DM prep thinking about. Couldn't this NPC be a flump? Yeah. <laughs> Ask yourself. <laughs> well, can so I know they're most like well, there's at least one of them in space, and they're usually in the underdark. But could you? Mm-hmm. Can they survive anywhere? Oh yeah, sure. So they uh, could just be anywhere. Wherever. There are psychically active things for them to draw some some sustenance from. Uh, so here's a fun thing: if you're playing with some of the uh, the, the newer character classes that were introduced, say in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, we have several psionically active. Uh, subclasses. So a uh, flump could become enamored with your party's soul knife, or uh, or oh. the, uh, the the uh, the psychic warrior. Uh, uh, yeah, psychic warrior, or uh, someone who has like the telekinetic or telepathic feats, and that person may attract a flump who's like, oh, well, you're you're nice to chat with, and <laughs> as you talk to people with your mind, I get a snack. Yeah. 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 Or even, and then this whole philosophical kind of. Mm. idea too like being able to have a companion that a dungeon master could just you know uh, uh be able to expound with like i just mm-hmm. feel like that is so interesting and it's an area that we don't normally explore in in, in this game yeah too yeah and and sort of even right out of the box they have some skill proficiencies that can be useful that um might otherwise go overlooked so they're they're proficient in arcana history and religion and so for like the the exposition giving or kind of uh, understanding what's going on in an adventure and connecting the events of the of the encounters to sort of the history of the world or whatever um sometimes uh i've had the dungeon master moments where i'm a little dismayed that nobody took history proficiency right Mm. because "Ah, you're gonna miss out on this cool stuff i'll find other ways to get it to you but it would be neat if you know you were the one to know it and then kind of give it to your give it to your friends so this is a way to kind of uh seal that gap if you have an ally who is a flump um sort of serving as an advisor uh to the to the party that could be cool a flump advisor i love it so fun. <laughs> it's so cute. I will say, I think the saddest thing that I've ever read is in their stat block and ab- about them being knocked uh, prone. And yeah, and yeah. If you, if you roll, knock them prone and, and they flip on their back, they have trouble. They 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 turtle up a little bit. They have trouble flipping back the over. Saddest thing. It's incapacitated <laughs> if it lands upside down. Yeah, I'm just going to try go every turn to. Eh. Flip themselves back over to rights, and then they oh, can, then that's they can, heartbreaking. I feel yeah. like that's in there for a uh, morality test for your players, right? Flip a flump. <laughs> you find a flump. Flump, yeah, right? Flump flipping. What's a flump? But you're not flipping you know, it back over. You know a tortoise? Same thing. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, the Voight comp for adventurers. Yes, it's totally what it is, right? Why yep. else would that specific detail be in there? Uh, yep. I love it. I love it. So use this uh, monster that I am mean, not quote unquote monster. Use this creature more in your games. Uh, and hopefully with the introduction of Flapjack in Spelljammer, uh, more people will uh, be able to come up with, you know, outside of the outside of the box ways to use this outside of the box creature. Yeah. A lot of times it's easy to just kind of get uh 
if particularly if we're using published adventures, you just look at whatever stat blocks you need and kind of move on and you just flip past this page, you know, after you were looking at the flame skull next to it, whatever, <laughs> stop and take a look and just kind of let, let your let yourself wander through some of these these creature entries, particularly like the flump, and you might find some uh, some unexpected gold uh, waiting for you. Love Maybe it. even literally. Literally gold. <laughs> or they can tell you where the gold is. They'll tell is. you where to find the gold. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Love Dan, it. for coming on and letting us meet these flumps again for the first time. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love flumps. I'm happy to happy to spread the spread the word of them. Spread if, the the stench spray. Spread the fluff. <laughs> <laughs> but they mean well, right? I love they it. Do. They do. So, uh, if people want to come up with more uh, uh, flump or nutter ways to use these guys, I love it. Flump nutter. How could they do it uh, and get in touch with you? All right, tweet flump or nutter to me on uh, Twitter <laughs> at dan underscore dylan underscore one, and we'll chat flumps. <laughs> That's great. I love it, Greg. And of course, a shout out to uh, Teo Sabadea, uh, uh, Alpha Stream, who is. Alpha Stream. I always think of Flumps when I think of you. Flump advocate. And vice versa. (laughs) (laughs) Flumps of the world unite. Uh, Thanks, Dan. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So that was an amazing uh, bit about the embodification <laughs> of a whoopee cushion, the flump. <laughs> they're even weirder than I thought I knew. <laughs> but they're friendly, too. Oh, but beloved. I mean, who could hurt a flump? Uh, evil people. And they better not. They not better on not. my watch. Or we're coming after you, buddy. Yes, flumps. Drunky is coming your way. Drunky loves flumps. Loves them. He really does. She really does. They really do. Everybody does. Who doesn't? (laughs) (laughs) That's like, you just did the flumps theme song. Everybody does. He does. She does. Who doesn't? (laughs) Flumps. Dump, dump, flumps. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Now, let's talk to Corey about how we can get a Drunky Two-Shoes card in Magic the Gathering. Oh, don't tease me. Let's welcome Corey Bowen to Dragon Talk. Yay, Yay, Corey! It's me. Yay! So exciting to have you here. Yes, fellow wizard. Yes, it's great to be here, fellow wizards. Yes, (laughs) or shall we say fellow tieflings? Tieflings? As I hear that you might be partial to a tiefling. I do like tieflings. Me uh, too. Tieflings are among my favorite classes to play. Um, I like, or sorry, races to play. I love to play any character that starts with Mage Hand. I think there's a lot you can do there. Yes, sure. I agree. Do you often use Mage Hand just, you know, for like dumb things, like while the party is just wandering around? Yeah, I I like to really stretch my imagination on what a mage hand can be used for. Sometimes it's slapping someone for effects. Yes. Sometimes one time I had used mage hand to like push a vase off of a bookshelf from like behind a window, and that I used that as a ranged spe- uh, attack, sneak attack. Uh, so that was fun. Yeah, wedgies. Wedgies are also good with mage. Wedgies, hand. classic, classic prank. You know, mage hand is for the pranksters out there. That's I agree. Like, yeah. <laughs> I agree. That's why one of the reasons why I love playing spellcasters. Clearly, you know. your your dungeon master loves the rule of cool, which is like, oh yeah, mage hand. It can be done for anything that is within <laughs> yes. reason. I'm uh, I'm very up on story equity 
in D&D and playing the rule of cool and stretching those boundaries. I like improvised storytelling and I like, uh, you know, whatever rules we can remember to come with it. That's awesome. Yes. Which is very different than your actual job, which is a game designer (laughs) on Magic the Gathering, where there is less improvisation uh, usually in, in, in how rules are interpreted. Is that, would you say that's a fair assessment? Oh, yeah. There are many, many <laughs> rules. I have lots of meetings talking about rules for cards I'm making. I, uh, you know, I frequently talk to the rules people about, hey, can I do this? Is this within the bounds of the huge, long, comprehensive rules magic has? Um, it's, easy. it's a whole thing, lots of constraints, but still a lot of fun. You know, yeah. obviously, I still get to improvise in card design. So when you, I guess, I mean, even though we have worked side by side in the same office for, for years, I still am not, the magic dis, game design team is structured differently and obviously they operate differently than D&D mm-hmm. does. So you're a game designer, but there's also rules designers. You're not, they're not one in the same. Right. So in Dungeons and Dragons, designing rules is designing. Right, Dungeons and Dragons is mostly just a rule set for people to go through. Um, for Magic, the comprehensive rules as like this structure is this vast, vast document that you know in D a typical player needs to read some rules in Magic: The Gathering. Hopefully, no one has to read a rule because they're so complicated. <laughs> um, but you know, there's people who are in charge of rules, making sure everything works, making sure everything is templated correctly in terms of what exact words we use. And I'm more in charge of content creation, so creating cards that function within those rules. There are times where, hey, we want a card to work this way. Maybe it's a new rule or changes the rules or it's a mechanic with new rules. And there's influence where I can be like, hey, I want this to work this way. Let's collaborate. Um, But I'm mostly within creating card content, game content, um, and collaborating with people who are kind of safeguarding the giant spaghetti engine that is the magic rule system. I love that. That's yeah. so fun. And I like that there's so much iteration. I mean, that's where mm-hmm. game design is similar uh, between both games is that it's all about testing out and making sure how it works and feels. And that's one of my favorite things about being in the office was seeing the uh, uh, the game designers like you guys in Magic just having these printed out cars and getting them ready to, to, to duel with each other in order to see like, Oh, did that work? You know, is that, is that something you worked on, uh, for, for this set for, um, the amazing, uh, commander Baldur's Gate set that we're, we're talking about here? Uh, play testing in general. Yeah. 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 So our commander's gate or sorry, commander legends battle for Baldur's Gate, a uh, very long title. It's like magic colon, the gathering yeah. colon D D colon <laughs> commander legends. <laughs> Colin Battle for Baldur's Gate. Um, I was the lead set designer. And so what that means, usually there's kind of two halves of um, designing a full card set. Um, the first half is a little shorter. It's called vision design. It's more of like, hey, let's come up with big picture ideas, figure out what direction we might want to go. And then the longer portion is set design where we spend um, a lot more months just uh really iterating on exact executions, implementations, and polishing cards. So I was the set design lead, so I spent uh, the better part of a year uh, really trying to hone all of the 300-whatever cards are in the sets. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a big set. That's huge. Yeah. It's a, it's, this is one of the biggest sets we do, our Commander Legends set. It's the second one we've done. Um, so, yes, 
we did a lot of playtesting. We did a lot of draft playtesting. We did some constructed playtesting. Playtesting was had, um, and a lot of iteration on parts was, was to be done. I don't know that people fully understand how long it takes to make a card set and how far in advance your team is actually working um, mm-hmm. on sets that are very far out in the future. But like from beginning to end, like, okay, green light, we're doing this to you are sending files to the printer. Like about how long is that time period? So I don't have, okay, I will give you some perspective. Okay. For CLB, it was towards the end of the summer of one of the years. I don't remember which one. Oh, uh, the end of the <laughs> one, one of those pandemic years. <laughs> one of those years. <laughs> we don't have to get into specifics. Uh, towards the end of the summer, we're like, all right, we're making this product. We want you to do this. We're going to start the vision design team. And then for maybe three months or so, we did our vision design, which was, hey, we're doing a D&D Commander Legends set. What does it mean to do a second D&D set? What does it mean to do a second Commander Legends set? Um, let's think about mechanics. Let's think about themes. Let's think about how are we going to do a fresh new take on both of these kind of prompts. Uh, so that's like three months. And then at the start of the year of whatever the next year was, maybe it was 2021. I don't know. Time is weird. <laughs> so towards... The beginning of the next year, which I believe is 2021, the set design started. Um, and that's when we started uh, really solidifying what mechanics and themes we want to go in a set. Uh, mostly a lot of our playtests and iteration are more aimed towards the draft environment, which is when you when you buy the set, you open booster packs and you kind of pick a card and pass it and build a deck kind of improvisationally and, and play uh, a game with your friends. That's our kind of main draft environment. But uh, a big part of the set is also making cards that are viable for Commander, which is more of a build your deck at home, bring it to your friends kind of deal, um, which is wildly popular. And that's why we do it. So the testing for that is actually way harder. And that's uh, something that we kind of do throughout the set design. But mostly we're we're, um, trying to build a set for drafts and testing, drafting constantly every week or two. We're drafting, we're changing cards, we're doing it again, we're changing whole mechanics. Um, and then this set design went till that next summer. So at some point, it's been like a full year. We're around a full year of vision and set design when design is putting pencils down. We're like, okay, we think we're fine with the set. We're pretty happy with what's going on. Um, and then other stuff happens that I'm not part of this pipeline. Uh, editing happens. Rules happens. Uh, packaging people are doing stuff. There's a commander deck team also working in flights. Um, cards need to be printed and all that happens. Marketing stuff needs to happen. Um, and all that needs to happen before the next summer. So we started in the summer of 2020. We design ended in the summer of 2021 and the sets being released summer of 2022. Wow. That's almost two years out. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I love hearing about how different processes work and Me how too. the playtesting happens. But I think what's really exciting for our listeners is how um, you integrated a lot of the Dungeons Dragons lore and, you know, feel to uh, to a, a very different game, as we've been saying. Um, uh, we've talked a little bit about how Commander itself as a format is, is different than, uh, you know, the typical one-on-one magic game. Uh, games that people may have had in their youth. Um, and this set was designed around that, that kind of, you know, 
around the right. table, almost storytelling version of comp- competition. So, yeah, can you talk a little bit about how you integrated all that D&D stuff into this, this new format? Yeah, totally. So, to begin with, as a little, you know, the preamble of the commander stuff, yeah, so if you played Magic a lot of times, you probably played when you won Magic, and it's competitive, and I don't really want to talk to my opponents unless I'm telling them that I'm destroying their thing or whatever. <laughs> uh, if I'm playing Commander, which is four players at a table, kind of free-for-all, 100-card decks, kind of bigger swings, there is reason for me to be like, hey, do you want to be my friend? Let's beat up that guy. Let's communicate. Let's do politics. Let's uh, kind of collaborate or cooperate. You know, all those co-words. Um, and that is also that social aspect of the multiplayer game is uh, really, really reflected in D&D, too. Like, we think that marriage between Commander and Dungeons and & Dragons kind of exists intrinsically through that social cooperative play um, or possibly political play. Um, specifically, this set is actually, you know, set in Baldur's Gate. If you know anything about Baldur's Gate, you would know that political intrigue and kind of politics, allies, betrayal is very ingrained in uh, that whole world. Everything is very politically structured. So that kind of really fits in as well. Um, and then aside from just social stuff and politics, uh, we want to take a lot of more of the DNA of Dungeons and Dragons. What's the DNA of Dungeons and Dragons? Well, what's a dungeon? Bam. We have a dungeon mechanic. Easy peasy. Done. Don't have to do anything else. <laughs> right. You draft this set, you're probably going to be venturing inside of the Undercity, the big popular dungeon in Baldur's Gate. All right, what's the second part of Dungeons and Dragons? Well, it's a it's a dragon. All right. Well, guess what? I put dragons in the sets. You can enjoy your Phew. dragons. Yay. Yes. Uh, you can build uh, dragon decks, uh, dragonborn, full-size dragons, all types of dragons from the Forgotten Realms and more. Really dug deep on different types of dragons. It's really cool. And then uh, what's the third element of Dungeons and Dragons? It's the ampersand, right? The the <laughs> and, something and something. You are very um, literal with this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually have an ampersand mechanic. That would be funny. Right. Well, I, I mean, know. in some ways, that's the social aspect. I don't know. That's where I thought you were going with that, where it's like, it's yeah, not just. Yeah, it's the just, connection. It's the, the connection. The bringing of two things right. together. You right. guys get it. Uh, now we have to think of an ampersand mechanic. We need right. it now. Uh, that's super cool. And so, were you? Did they? Did they put you on this as the lead because of your D and D background? Uh, I think I had. Or was a that lot just of, helpful? It was. Well, it was helpful. I mean, I think I had a lot of different uh, reasons that I fit really well. Some of it is I did have a D and D background. I love playing D and D. I love playing different tabletop systems, but I always come back to Five E because I think there's a lot to do. Um, but I also worked on the first Dungeons and Dragons set called Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. This was a standard set that we made, um, some years ago. Again, time is a mystery to me. Um, but I worked on that. I wasn't the lead, but I I was on it. And I also work on a lot of commander products nowadays. I really enjoy social games, obviously for my love of D&D and the social commander format. Um, so that conflux of, hey... I'm very commander tuned and I'm very DD tuned and had a wealth of knowledge of our previous DD set positioned me really well to really love and care for this set. So yeah, what uh you, you know you mentioned your your love of, of of Dungeons and Dragons. Like where where did you start? How did you begin playing uh this game and and uh 
what were some of your like first characters? Oh man, my origin story is actually kind of funny because it lines up with my origin story for Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was 18, 17 in high school, senior year in high school, going to a game store, me and my friends pick up starter magic decks. We're like, hey, you know, actually, no, that's not what I, we, we played D&D first. We said, let's play Dungeons and Dragons. This sounds really fun. We've never played Dungeons and Dragons before. So we pick up some Dungeons and Dragons stuff. We're ready to play. We're at a game store and we're just thinking to ourselves, hey, if we're going to go off the deep end and do the nerdiest thing you can do in Dungeons and Dragons, let's try this other thing too. Let's, <laughs> let's pick up some Magic the Gathering starter decks. And so almost in the same breath around my 18th birthday, we picked up Magic and Dungeons and Dragons and we just started playing. And like everyone who starts playing a game with no one who knows how to play the game, we messed up a lot of stuff on the first try. Uh, I remember playing, we were playing 3.5. Um, oh, that's a tough and, one. <laughs> right. We didn't, we didn't understand what a character was at all or what a character sheet was at all. So my first character was flipping through the monster manual, picking something that looked cool and playing as that. Oh. So my, fir- <laughs> my first I like character, which I, which I played for a day, um, was in Inevitable, which is very inappropriate for your first day because there's like these uh, Warforged robot-y things that uh, do not relent. Um, and then from then on in 3.5, I played a spell thief for a few, uh, for a bit large campaign because I enjoyed stealing spells. And then when I, in 5e, I play a lot of different stuff, but, uh, I really enjoy rogues. I, I like sneak attack as like a puzzle in combat. So I think that's kind of fun. That is cool. I love the idea of just picking out. A monster from the monster yeah. manual. Like, this is me. Okay, let's start rolling some dice. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Uh, I mean, that goes with the, if, like, it's that, I think maybe that star is why I liked improvisational role play a lot more. Yeah. It's like, oh, the stats didn't matter as much to me in the beginning. What matters, I was just this thing. Let's just play, play a story. But as time has gone on, I found a lot of enjoyment um, kind of building a character at what, like it was building a deck, you know, like, looking oh, there and saying, what can I build here? That's kind of interesting. That is interesting. Oh, yeah. I want to know, I, I've, the, the few times that I've played Magic, I never built my own deck. I believe this is a great segue for the COB. So one of the, I think, really good harmony points between Dungeons and Dragons and Commanders, specifically Commander Draft, is that when you're drafting your deck in uh, Commander Legends, Battle for Baldur's Gate, it is a lot like creating a character um, and it's intended to feel that way because I'm picking a commander, right? I'm picking a legendary character to represent me. And then I'm drafting like the spells I'm casting throughout the game. So almost like, Hey, this game, I'm going to play Wilson, the, the bear. Um, and then I'm going to draft a bunch of cards um, and that'll be like the stuff I do. And then in, we have a mechanic specifically that helps you like define your background for the legendary creature you pick in this set. So if I'm playing this character, I could be a chef or like a wizard or like a tavern brawler or whatever I happen to draft or pick up. Um, and that adds a little bit more customization feel. Like I might be playing this character with a completely different story or background than you're playing this character. And obviously we have completely different depths as well. Wow, that's cool. So is the is the backgrounds an actual card similar to the way the class cards were featured in uh, AFR? They are different cards. They don't work like class cards in AFR. Um, they work similarly to the partner mechanic for those familiar mm. with Magic and Commander and the partner mechanic. But essentially, you'll have your commander and then 
as a card that you get to start with. And then you also have a background as a card that you can start with. And the background and played will give your commander an ability um, that kind of relates towards that uh, background. Oh, I had a question. Now I forgot what it was. No, it was oh, like it inspired something. And I don't remember what it is now. Anyway. Well, I think that's such a cool way to think about uh, creating your deck as well as uh, how commanders work, uh, you know, in general. Like the fact that, I mean, there's already so much um, customization with commander as a format anyway because of even if you pick the same legendary creature, you can uh, have a very different deck list with a hundred different cards at your disposal. Uh, and then again, just to make sure everybody listening here knows those... Uh, 100 cards are all single. You cannot have, like, four of the same card, for example. Is that That's correct with the Commander format, right? Yeah, so in the Constructed Commander, so in Commander Draft, you can actually draft whatever you end up picking up. But typically oh, okay. for the, the Constructed Commander format, which we hope many people who draft this or enjoy this would want to go play Commander because it's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, you have 100 cards, and they have to be... You can only have one of each card other than basic lands. Um, but... There's, there's a lot of fun in having one of each card because it makes the games a lot different. Your draws are a lot more random. Every game you play, you're drawing like a different suite of spells and powers that uh, you built into your deck. So it's just really, really cool to have that kind of singleton aspect. It really emphasizes that this is not going to, or this doesn't have to be a high intensity competitive game. It's going to be a light social format where you're just playing and hanging out with your friends. For those who are competitive, by the way, you can can play a high-intensity competitive commander if you'd like. Uh, so would you say, is commander a good place for a new a new new to magic person to start? So there's kind of two aspects here to balance it. Um, commander is a friendly place for new players. It is going to be more complicated than the typical primat, usually, because there's a wider variety of cards and mechanics and stuff to read. Um, but... Uh, the really big upside to learning through Commander is that if you are playing with people who know the game, um, they have more incentive in a, in a four-player game to kind of help you and teach you what you did wrong within the game, helping you kind of learn the rules as you play. If you're playing 1v1 games, your opponent <laughs> they're not, doesn't they're really not have an incentive and to help you like, out. You should actually try this card or like, do it this way. <laughs> right. They're like, they're like, actually, you did this wrong, yeah. so I'm going to defeat you for that. <laughs> you know? And Command is like, hey, you did this wrong. I want to be friends with you. Let me show you kind of what you did wrong or what you could have done that may have been better and help you understand that. The 1v1 game, it's like, let me help you understand why I'm about to beat you, sucker. <laughs> you <know? Yeah. laughs> I have a very small anecdote, but I was the one actual uh, DCI event that I went to and I played in because I was like, oh, sure, I'll try this out. I was playing against like a 12-year-old kid and I had the thing on my board that would have stopped whatever he was doing and at least, you know, uh, not let him win on the next turn. And he was like, can I see your card? And he looked at it and he's like, oh, okay. And he put it down and I was like, huh, I don't know why you did that. And I just continued doing what I was doing. <laughs> and then later I realized he was basically telegraphing to me like, oh, this thing has the ability oh, to stop. Oh, he, he was, was trying, trying to, to help do. you. He was try I don't know if he was trying to help me. He, he was probably more tipping his hand because he didn't realize, you know, uh, what he was doing. Oh. But I love that um, that type of play isn't really a part of Commander at all, right? Like, it is all about, like, uh, getting, 
each other to enjoy the game, which is, again, what is so great about Dungeons & Dragons, right? It's like a bunch of friends getting together, wanting to have a good time rather than uh, that, you know, purely competitive nature. Um, but the, my question for you is, is Corey, is like how if people are getting together, like I said, and having that, that fun time, is there any communication of like what type of commanders everybody else is playing, like, like you would trying to assemble a party uh, for D&D? Yeah, I know in Dungeons and Dragons, there's this very popular concept called Session Zero, where you kind of get together before a campaign, talk about boundaries, what characters you're doing, if things can go well, what kind of game you want to have, and have that kind of highly open communication. In Commander, there's a similarly popular concept called Rule Zero. Hmm. Seems very like synonymous, <laughs> but uh, the Command Rules Committee um, has developed Rule Zero, which is essentially saying, hey, everyone, Commander is too big of a format with too many different audiences for us to make like one really strict rule set. So rule zero says before, you know, you play with your player group, sit down, talk about what kind of game you want to have, you know, how cutthroat do you want to be? What kind of cards do you want to be running and just communicate. So, you know, everyone's going to have a good time. Um, so it, it similar, like D and D, you know, has this really strict rule set and magic has this really strict rule set and, you know, extension commander has a strict rule set. But uh, when you play the game, as you play them, those rules, you know, don't have to rigidly define the game uh, over, you know, your what socially and collaboratively your group wants to do. Whatever you want to do to have fun. The goal is to have fun, not necessarily to win. Um, what you said earlier about d d being like, hey, this is about collaborative storytelling. I like to think of my commander games as like, I'm going to collaboratively storytell. If this like, or if I, if I play this card that's going to destroy everyone's creatures, um, sometimes I'll hold on to that and wait until someone else has something fun to do because I want everyone to tell a fun story with the decks. Oh, interesting. Different than yeah, what cool. I would typically think of magic. Yeah, and what I will I- say, some people do play Commander. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are playing Commander to, to win a game or to build a deck that's hyper-focused. Um, some of the em- emphasis on Commander is that there are tens or hundreds of different ways to play. And this kind of hyper-social commuter storytelling is how I like to play it. I know people who like to play it where they want to play the strongest things and win because it is a lot of fun to play powerful magic cards. And there's a lot of people who have a lot of fun time playing their strong magic cards against other strong magic cards. I'm, I like to tell stories. Other people like to play strong. Other people like to build creative engines. There's a lot of different ways to play the game. And I'll, there's a lot of, you know, if you like to play card games or anything, there's going to be something you can do in Commander that you're going to enjoy. What I like about what you're saying there too is that it is, there's an, always an implied social contract when anybody sits down to play a game together, whether it is a competitive board game, a cooperative board game, or a game like D&D or Magic, right? And the trend over the last few years in, in D&D for the uh, Session Zero and then now with the Rule Zero here for Commander is just... That implied social contract sometimes can be misunderstood or isn't, you know, isn't, it's implied, but it's not necessarily explicit. And let's just make it explicit so that everybody, uh, you know, kind of can, can buy in on it. Uh, and that is a way just to reduce any type of uh, disgruntledness and just ensure what we're all here for, which is to hopefully have a good time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's great. I mean, we know that... The magic audience and the D and D audience crosses over. There's a significant group of both fan groups that play both games. So, but when you're designing a D and D themed magic product, what what do you have to keep in mind 
as you're designing it? Because it, you want you're designing it for both audiences, or you're designing it as a way to bring in new audiences, aka the D and D audience. Or what 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 are those key design tenets that you have to remember when you're blending two properties together? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean, I am keeping in mind all of those different types of audiences, um, and it's not just like oh, I keep every audience in mind. No, I just I keep as many as I think targeted makes sense. Um, so there is a level of, hey, it would be really good if when we made a set that used another IP or used another you know, audience as a hook, that uh, we would build that set so that people who don't play Magic but play that kind of brand like Dungeons & Dragons could come in and have a good time. And in that sense, uh, a lot of the themes or some of the cards, I want you know, most of the commons that you open a booster pack to be really readable and digestible and easier for a newer player to understand. So if you're coming from the Dragons and you don't know magic that well, I would love you to read a given common card and be like, yes, I understand what this does and I understand why this concept is doing that. Um, which is, for what it's worth, to some degree, true of every magic set. Every magic set, we would love to right. baseline understand the cards. But there is um, some emphasis in like, I don't need to be too novel in my game mechanics. I don't need to have too, like such a high degree of novel in yeah. the gameplay. If uh, I'm bringing you to Magic, you're, I want you to experience like what I know is classically fun in Magic the Gathering because I want you to experience what is classically fun. Now that's like yes. brand new stuff. That makes sense. Um, there's there is new there is new stuff to do in this set, but uh, as far as like the draft themes and when you're drafting and playing, um, a lot of the themes are pretty close to what you would expect. Okay. Um, sorry, there's so many other things like. A lot of the legendary characters are callbacks to the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Um, the Magic's one of Magic's greatest strengths as a game in general is the fact that there is very pretty art on every single piece yes. of cardboard. It's very pretty art, and if we're using a different IP, I would love it if you would recognize that very pretty art as what it is. Um, and so for this set, we have stuff that's called back to Baldur's Gate One. We have stuff that's called back to Baldur's Gate Two. We have stuff that's throw forward to Baldur's Gate 3, which is going to come out at some point in time. Um, and we even have stuff that's a callback to Descent into Avernus, which was a campaign um, in 5e that kind of started this adventure in Baldur's Gate and quickly went Baldur's Gate. But it started in Baldur's Gate, thought it was relevant, wanted to make some characters from there. Um, we also have random stuff from the Forgotten Realms. Maybe we wanted a concept that was from this other area in Forgotten Realms. Uh, whatever, bring it in. It, it, you know, Baldur's Gate is an eclectic place. Who's to say that person didn't travel to Baldur's Gate and show up in the set? Hmm. Um, also, hey, what's a really classic D and D uh, thing? What about like Ravenloft? Everyone loves Ravenloft. Uh, so there's one or two cards from from that adventure. Um, which I don't know. Maybe I don't see someone from Ravenloft coming to Baldur's Gate for a weekend, but it can happen. It's a cool card. You just wander into the mist. You don't know where you're gonna go. Poof. I'm in Baldur's Gate. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I mean that that's how that's how it works, right? <laughs> I got this free trip. I thought it was gonna be fun. Strahd. Uh so yeah. I uh, I love to that this is like an extension of 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 uh, Adventures of the Forgotten Realms, right? Where it was like, you know, here is a uh concentration in Baldur's Gate, like the all of the things that you mentioned uh, at the top of this about like the different factions and the disparity between uh, the different parts of the city and the general 
uh, I don't know, danger uh, <laughs> of, of the city as, as a whole. Um, but then, you know, you can bring into some other D&D flavored things because, you know, you can't pack everything into uh, one set from, from AFR. And uh, I think Dungeons & Dragons fans are going to love being able to play with some of those cards, you know, being able to to have some of those characters that they know and love from touchstones from either from their youth or, as you're saying, uh, the more modern Baldur's Gate 3 that uh, is, is uh, you know, being developed right now. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess I don't want, I don't want to make you say any specifics here because I know there's a, a lot of uh, uh, reveals yet to come, but it's safe to say that D&D fans will find a lot of interest in each one of these cards. Yeah, I mean, different fans at different eras will find stuff. I'll also say that, you know, I for a lot of my experience in D&D, you know, I enjoyed playing homebrew worlds or kind of being in very inventive worlds. And if you're a fan of D&D and you're not particularly, like, resonating with Aldersgate, there's going to be stuff here for you. There's going to be concepts that that map to kind of more broad uh, D&D adventuring tropes. You know, there's, here's, like, a... Uh, a fight in a tavern or something or like, oh, you know, you came across this monster that everyone kind of meets in many of their campaigns. So there's these very, uh, you know, uh, resonant stories that kind of are timeless through typical adventures that show up in the set as well, as well as characters with classes or uh, archetypes that uh, you'll recognize from your many games that might be. I mean, that was some advice that I always heard about introducing people to Dungeons and Dragons. Um, that when, it, like, flavor the adventure with things that are familiar to them. So, like, I, when I taught a couple of kids how to play, I used their school and their principal as the quest giver. And so it was like a way for them to just kind of have something to grasp onto, some familiarity. And I think it's like, the designing a magic set with so much thing, so much that's familiar to a D and D fan feels similar to that. Like they're all immediately going to feel some kind of immersion in this and invest in it because I get it. I know who these characters are. I know this location, and I would be excited to see what the next card is that's going to flip over because I'm probably going to know that location and that person and that and that spell or whatever too. So, in that way, I think it's really cool. To, I love seeing how these. Yeah how the creative ways that these two properties have started to blend together. So if you're so if you're listening to this and you're a D&D fan and you've never played magic for whatever reason. You're too busy playing D&D. You're, <laughs> you're too busy playing D. And and this is enticing to you. Uh like Corey, what would you think is the way to uh get in, you know, other than obviously playing in a commander format and using these cards like what what how how would you explain and get a, a pure D&D player into what magic is all about? Yeah, I would say that there's a few avenues uh, to come into magic from someone who hasn't played magic before. Um, right now, I think one of the easier avenues is um, just pre-constructed commander decks. If you pick up some decks and start playing or learning with a friend, um, this set will have uh, four pre-constructed commander decks to come out uh, with it, designed by the wonderful Gavin Verhey. Um, and those decks, um, those decks do a lot of cool stuff, bring a lot of resonance um, that you could pick up and play. You could even just buy some packs and open them and read the cards and wonder and daydream and ask a friend how to play. Um, Magic the Gathering Arena is an online um, a, a program we have, a game that you could play that has a pretty good tutorial for Magic to learn the basics. If you're 
and a really bare bones. Um, this set uh, will also be having a digital analog to it on Magic Arena, where a lot of the cards will show up there, and you can play Battle Baldur's Gate stuff uh, on Arena as well, although it'll be um, kind of a very different mechanical suite to work in a 1v1 format on Arena. Um, but Arena is a great way to learn if you're if you're just beginning. Commander is a great way to learn if you are somewhat familiar with the rules and really need to get updated into what Commander is. And just honestly opening packs, reading them, asking questions, that's how I learn. I think that's how a lot of people kind of pick up the game. Um, what would you do if, say, you worked on Dungeons & Dragons for a really long time and you really loved that game a lot and you had a child who decided that he really liked magic and just continued to break your heart every time you said, you want to play Dungeons and Dragons? And he said, how about magic? <laughs> so this person is looking to learn how to play magic. <laughs> this person, well, maybe um, isn't like taking the cues to try to, you know, play some D and D with their, their mother. Um, but yeah, definitely wants to play magic. Do you think that maybe this, this possible set is a good way to get them into D and D. See how cool D and D can be. Look, man, it's hard to compete with with magic. Okay, might. <laughs> no, this is great. You 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 buy some of these cards. You buy a commander deck, and you you play against you know this fabled other person that mm -hmm. talking the theoretical. And then uh, as you're playing, and they're enjoying the game of magic, you point out, hey. Let me tell you a story about this character that I know about from D&D. Let me tell you about this character from D&D. You know that this character is a druid, and druids are all about this elemental magic wielding the power of nature. You could that pretty be cool? that, you know, yeah. You can be a druid in my campaign. <laughs> hey, you mm. like playing this rogue? Well, you know, my DM has a lot of great, you know, rogue stuff. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and then he could be like, well, are you frustrated by you only being able to play the things that are in your hand? Well, <laughs> do I have a game for you? <laughs> hey, I heard you liked cards based off of D&D. &D. Well, I have these spell there cards. There you go. Do you, you want to look at, at these cool <laughs> spells? <laughs> what about those? Uh, I'm just kidding. This one doesn't even cost mana. You don't even need to pay mana to cast this. Look at that. You don't have to put a land down. Oh, I will try. I will let you know if that works. That's good. Good advice. Thank you. I mean, I'll I'll tell my friend. I, mean, I was asking, obviously, for a friend. Right. Yeah. You're, you're it's totally theoretical. theoretical. Yeah, right. <laughs> what you what you two are just saying though has uh, just uh, dredged something up for me when I played Lords of Waterdeep with this group, um, which I love. It's a fantastic board game. Very competitive. Great game. But. Uh, every single time this group completed a, a quest card, which is the main way to score points in that game, um, the the group basically demanded that you told the story of what happened on that quest, right? And like how you recruited the the uh, party members you needed in order to complete it, and all that stuff. And so it was this nice little improv thing. It really wasn't that robust. It just really just made us laugh and 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 enjoy uh, the you know storytelling wrapper around that competitive game. Does that ever happen in Commander? Does that ever have like, okay, I'm going to play this this spell, but it, it's more of a, a role-playing exercise and an improv improvisational thing in that way? So there's not a lot of, all right, let me pause okay. my speech. There's not a lot of pausing to give like a role-play speech, but there is a lot of silly things to do, a lot of magic, because we visit a lot of different worlds, a lot of different themes, and you can play like the fairy tale card set versus 
the cyberpunk samurai card set or whatever. Um, there is a lot of weird serendipity moments where you're like, all right, I'm going to cast this card that will destroy your mech, your like big mecha, and it will bake it into a pie. So I baked your mech into a pie. It's just kind of absurdism more as like, oh, that's that's hilarious. What did that happen? Or I'll turn your mecha into a frog or something. It's like, okay, <laughs> I guess it's a frog now. That's cool. Or uh, there's this one card we have in a recent set that like transforms something into a car, like into a vehicle or something. And so you're like, I will turn your, you know, medieval knight into a vehicle. And I will just pretend that that means it's a, it's a knight vehicle. It's like a helmet warped into a car or something. That's funny to me. So there's, it's more of like, play-by-play imaginative moments. Um, I imagine some players out there are playing high role play commander. Um, certainly a lot of, I've seen a lot of people do that on a deck by deck access where like someone built a deck and said, this is my commander. This is uh, whoever, maybe it's like a Lord of Zombies or something or, uh, but I'm going to give a story to this commander and every card in my deck when I play, I'm going to explain to you how it fits in the story. I've seen more than one, you know, I've played against more than a few people who do that, where they build a story and they made it specifically where every card in their deck adds to that story. And maybe they pick a suboptimal card because it, you know, it fits better. He's like, no, I need this card because it references food and my commander is all about food. I play a food deck, by the way, and that's <laughs> what I do. Um, I'll be like, yeah, this, this guy's a returning customer. He hangs out in the kitchen or whatever. <laughs> so the, the Maybe that's more where the role playing comes in, but less in the interaction space. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, I, I I love all of that, and I even wonder now as I'm expanding on this idea too, if if a dungeon master who's in the middle of a D and D campaign, say it's set in Baldur's Gate, you know, could use a game of Commander as a resolution mechanic. So interesting, and not like quite matching that, but you know, when Magic was first created, mm-hmm. like first ideated in 1990, whatever. Um, the idea of magic was born out of uh, someone saying, hey, uh, I want to make a card game that you can play between D&D games. So you play a game of D&D or you're waiting for your game of D&D and you can play this card game. So the whole idea was to play magic integrated with D&D in some sense. Yeah, yeah. But I, but yeah, and I think that's um, uh, a wonderful lore story of the, of the Wizards of the Coast. Um, but yeah, I almost wonder if there's a way to uh, to make it part of a D&D campaign, mm-hmm. right? So that if you're up against the big bad or something like that, and then you have three, uh, I mean, I guess this is similar to an arch enemy idea, uh, but like have, you know, commander decks having their, all their things at their disposal going against, um, you know, the dungeon master who's playing the big bad evil guy who's got... Uh, uh, his own commander deck uh, or multiple commander decks to fight against. Yeah. Every now and then a designer thinks of this and we kick around the idea. Um, maybe one day we'll execute on it on like a formal thing for it. But I, I mean, you dungeon masters out there, you can use this in some way, oh, totally. uh, you know, cause it doesn't have to be so formal, right? It could just be much more of a, mm-hmm. Hey, let's just try and see how this works. Um, and, and, uh, because of all of these D and D elements that are now at their disposal from adventures in the forgotten realms. And then now this set, um, that just seems a lot more possible. Mm-hmm. I'll be cool. curious. I would like to hear from dungeon right. masters on how they've incorporated this. For sure. And then now you mentioned the artwork, um, 
expound on that because I know there is with 300 pieces of new art uh, of D&D stuff now about to be able to be uh, used by Dungeon Masters. I mean, that's just a, a huge boon unto itself. Oh, yeah. There is more than 300 pieces of art for what it's worth. A lot of cards have alternate art versions. Mm-hmm. I believe the total number of versions of cards that come out in this set is close to uh, or above 900 uh, in some sense. So there's above 900 like <laughs> versions of what? cards. Sometimes that means it's the same art with a bigger border or something, or sometimes it's an alternate art. But we have um, uh, we have this uh, string of cards where all the legends, I think, and then many like classical D and D references. Will, uh, there's an alternate art that they can get that looks like an old D and D rule book almost. We did this in um, AFR as well, so you can see like lightning bolts, for example, is a common spell in this set that has um, some old d and uh, rule book art as an alternate thing that you can acquire. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, there's a lot of dragons with alternate art, like some dragons that mythic have really shiny new art that's really splashy and cool. Uh, and I think, I don't know if we're doing it, but if you're uh, a fan of using like little markers for trackers, in AFR, we did this thing where you could get some of the card art with like a summarized stat block of that monster. Um, so you could have a little card that was kind of the summarized stat block um, that you could use as a tracker or on board for your players or something. I don't quite remember if we're doing that for this set, but I really hope we are. Yeah. The um, the artists who do uh, work for, well, for D&D, but as well for Magic, it just impresses me so many times when I see it. And it's uh, imagination inspiring every oh, single yeah. time. Yeah, the art the art quality for magic is incredible, and obviously D and D as well. But you know, one of my favorite parts about D and D books is flipping through and looking at the art, and so you know that kind of experience where every single card of magic has this gorgeous portrayal of what's going on or what characters this. So it's very inspiring. It's very cool to look at a legendary character and in all their art and glory and be like, I want to play that because honestly, it looks cool. That's the reason I'm thinking this. That's it how you picked awesome. your first yeah. character because it was a cool looking monster. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and so I could see, you know, Dungeon Masters uh, picking up booster packs and, and, and commander decks of this just to flip through the, the cards and see yeah. the artwork uh, in some ways and get inspired that way. Definitely. Yeah, totally. I mean, you could even like, oh, I buy some CLB stuff, you know, I shuffle some creatures in a deck. And what if my random encounters, so I just draw a magic card from my deck? Oh, like I build a dinner, I draw a magic card. This is my encounter. It's it's this thing from this set that's all about D&D creatures. Mm. That's I very love cool. that so much. Um, well, I mean, obviously this is a D&D podcast, so we're you know, focusing on all the cool things for D&D players in the set. But I'm curious, like, it goes both ways. If there's a magic player that's never dabbled in Dungeons and & Dragons and they get their hands on the set, what do you think is going to strike them? Like, what do you think could could make them go, oh, okay, I might, I might want to try some Dungeons & Dragons next? I'm hoping a lot of that character creation feel yeah. gets us there. It is that, like, I am playing this character... And then I'm picking a background for it. And again, the backgrounds, some of them are silly. Some of them are more serious. You know, those that's the mm-hmm. spectrum of D&D. There's a big silly, serious spectrum, um, as with magic. But uh, the idea that you can have this character with this very traditional fantasy archetype and then just, like, uh, make up something about its story or background or history um, and kind of be involved in that character's creation 
uh, I think to me that's a big draw into D and D is getting your foot through through that that uh, that window of oh I've actually created something that has a story here, um, and so maybe that kind of high identity customization will help magic players get in. Um, for other magic players, if you're listening, please play Dungeon and Dragon. It's very fun. Um, your friends will have a good time. You will have a good time. If you don't know the rules, you could just roll a d20, and if it's above a ten, so <laughs> that's true. Like, that's it's, a good it's, rule. It's, right. For DD, you can just get started and play, and then you can learn more rules when you have the questions for the rules. But if you just want to play, think of an adventure. I, I do this thing with my partner where we just sometimes we sit down. Um, and we just like, I just improvise an adventure and we just talk through it and roll dice and we just have stat scores and we play a very simplified version of it. Oh, that's really cool. I know. I like um, now when you play D and D, do you like, does something strike you and you go, Oh, this would be a cool mechanic in my next D and D magic crossover. Is it hard? Is it hard to like separate the chocolate and the peanut butter now that you know how delicious they are together? <laughs> I'm looking for when I play D and D. When I'm working on a D and D set, my eyes are when my eyes are open on what I'm. What am I supposed to translate to magic? When I'm playing D and D, you know, recreationally or whatever, I'm very much immersed in. Okay, how is my character going to mess this up? Let's do that. Um, <laughs> Where's my magic trickster? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, when I uh, I. I trust that when I'm making a DD set that I can get a lot of the references of the source material pretty easily. Yeah. Like I can get a list of monsters I think are appealing. I can get a list of uh, characters and events and proper nouns. Um, when I'm playing DD, what I'm really looking for is those universal story moments. Um, when, you know, oh, hey, I've noticed that in my campaign, we're around a campfire right now. Doesn't that happen a lot of times in DD where you're around a campfire? Well, is there a concept there? that I think is a universal truth of adventuring that I can bring to the set. Hey, you know, this event just happened where the protagonist, like, found out a secret about the antagonist or something, and it, it, the, stru- the structure was in a way that I felt like had happened before in previous D&D games. Well, that must be a common trope, or maybe I'm, like, extrapolating it toward being a common trope. Let's bring that common trope over. So it can be story beats that fit a different structure. It could be physical landmarks like a campfire that I see over and over again. It could see the items that kind of recur to people, but might not be your first thought when you're trying to dig up D&D. So when I'm, when I'm playing, I'm looking for those, um, you know, non-proper noun recurring themes that people don't necessarily, yeah. you know, evoke when they're thinking about what's a D&D thing. Yeah. Yeah, that'll mm-hmm. make sense. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is getting me excited. I want to start uh, jumping in and playing uh, more Commander. It's uh, something a format I've always wanted to to play a lot more of. And you know, I think maybe D and D fans were listening. You know, we've given you a lot of reasons to want to try and check this out. So when when can they check it out? So this set particularly is going to be available available in stores starting June tenth. But if you want to play earlier, there's actually a pre-release at many local game stores on June 3rd. So, you know, whatever game stores you probably buy your Dungeons & Dragons books and dice from, they they might be selling magic as well. Or you can look up uh, stores probably somewhere online. Just look up MTG stores. You can play in a pre-release. Pre-releases are actually a lot of fun. If you're a newer player... I really recommend going to a pre-release on my first year of playing Magic. I went to a lot of pre-releases. They're a lot more lighter and more social experience to, you know, build and be involved in the community. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the, the pre-release events that used to uh, be at Wizards were just a great way to to kind of just keep up to speed on what's going on with the game. And it's it's uh, it's you know similar to that that feel of a new book coming out for Dungeons and Dragons, right? And so chance to meet uh, some new people that you could possibly maybe play uh, Commander with. Or Dungeons and Dragons. Or both at the same time (laughs) with this weird idea that we keep talking about. Right. Get your combo D&D MTG group together. Yes. I'm liking that. And, you know, there is a lot of crossover between those two audiences. As you said, uh, even the founders of this company were, uh, (laughs) had had their um, fingers in both pies. Definitely. Uh, exciting stuff. Well, thanks so much, Corey, for coming on and and talking through all about the, this process as well as what's in uh, Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate. We didn't talk about any of the specific cards that are coming, and that was deliberate, but you'll be able to find out about all those leading up to uh, the dates that you just mentioned in June, right? Right, yeah. There's a there's a previews. Previews will be starting on May 17th, um, and so you can keep your eyes out online for some cards. I know we spoiled a card Yesterday, um, we spoiled some cards a few weeks ago, um, like the lightning bolt I mentioned previously. So there's a lot of fun stuff coming out, a lot of fun stuff to look at, um, a lot of fun references, and just sweet cards. And if people want to find out more about you know you personally, what you're doing, what your arcane trickster <laughs> fire genasi is up to, uh, where could they find that out? Yeah, if you want to stalk me, my uh, Twitter is at Corey J. Bowen. So that's C-O-R-E-Y-J-B-O-W-E-N. Um, I tweet occasionally, um, <laughs> but not super often. So, uh, but you can be there and I'll post whatever I'm working on when I'm working nice. on. Nice. Sweet. Very cool. Thanks yeah, so much thank for coming you so on, much. Corey. This has uh, been really fun. Right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Shelly. Thanks, Greg. I had a lot Us of fun. Too. And let's play Commander D&D soon. Smash yeah, up. let's do it. <laughs> We forgot to pitch him on that our was, on our cards. I'm, I was going to say that was a great, fun interview, but we totally forgot about Drunky being a card. Yeah. Well, next time. Next time we get into a, a private conversation with a magic designer, we'll have to be like, hey, man, think about this. Tabaxi litter mates thrown to the wind. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And let them inspire us. Like, we can't do all the work. <laughs> but yes you can you're the okay who knows what's happening okay, okay. <laughs> we can't do all the work <laughs> we know oh. it's a collaborative thing you're like yeah hey, that's the seed you guys start from there that's what it, that's what happens there you go well that's our episode for today very excited for you all listening in uh check out Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate when it drops on June 10th into game stores. There's some uh, pre-release events the week before for you to try out. And D&D fans out there, it's it's worth it. It's kind of super fun uh, to um, sling some cards back at each other uh, in a more casual format. It's going to be fun. Make it so. If you want to find out everything that's going on in the world of D&D, you can go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. That's a good way to do it. You can follow along on our social media accounts. Wizards underscore D&D is a good place to start there for both Twitter and Instagram. Follow us on the TikToks and the Twitches and the YouTubes for fun product information from our friend Todd Kenrick, as well as entertaining shows of people playing Dungeons & Dragons. 
And if you want to follow me, I am at Greg Tito on Twitter, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. What about you? I am at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. You sure are and have always been and always will be. Shelly Moo. Very exciting stuff. We have a book coming out. Oh Welcome gosh. to Dragon Talk. It is uh, in the final stages. We're keep making sure all of the the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and the AC is calculated correctly. Mm. But we're almost there. I can't wait to I show know. you the the cover. We can't wait to show you uh, all of the fun stuff uh, about what it has been like running this uh, thing. There it is. For, oh, and there it is. There is the actual a manuscript. Big pile of, of papers. You got yours my, right there? Mine's right there too. It's very We're exciting. reading it. We're really, it's so cool to read it and like, it, but like a little scary to you. Are you reading, do you have a little fear when you're reading it? Like, yes. Oh God, what if it's not good? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I, like, I'm like pretty deep in it and I haven't, I've read it like five times at this point, and each time it's been like, oh, this is good. The next time, oh, my God, no, it's not. I know. I'm like, I read it like I'm almost scared. I'm like, what if I find something that's really bad, and they won't let me change it? It's kind of like an anxiety dream, but we're living it. Yeah. So not uh, not a dream. It's almost like that day before you're going to Dungeon Master for the first time, right? Oh. It feels a little bit like that. Now my stomach hurts even more. Well... Exciting for that. More news coming on Welcome to Dragon Talk. In the meantime, drunk your Talk about your stomach's hurting, I think. Oh, I remember some of it. Yeah, go for it. What's happening? Drunky found a nice uh, person to help. And this was like a, not not a veterinarian, but like a a walk-in clinic, like an urgent care. And um, they, to help the, the driver of the Griffin. Yes. And... I think and I, uh, uh, the uh, um, guard that was on the griffin was able to uh, explain <gasps> my wand. Right, right. And it was a wand of wonder, which you now have in your hand. It's a weird-looking brass thing with uh, spokes coming off it that almost look like jacks uh, with colored spheres on the end of them. It's a weird thing, uh, but you've got it. And this huge doppelganger that is trying to wreck uh, Waterdeep is still towering above you with lots of other griffins still flying all around it. What are you going to do with this so wand of wonder? Should we should we assume as a sorcerer, like, I know what it is, or yes. should I... Well, okay. after he says wa- wonder, you're like, oh, it must be a wand of wonder. You don't it's have to a roll. wand of wonder! Uh, I'm going to... Of course I want to use it. All right, then. Let's uh, see. So you kind of bring it forth and uh, hold it up in front of you and brandish it at the uh, huge the doppelganger. doppelganger. Yeah. Is anyone going to tell me not to? Because I'm just doing it. Uh, the halfling matron who is now uh, trying to administer to uh, the fallen underneath you. She's not paying attention to you at all. You're kind of standing up. Lots of fire, smoke, screaming in the distance uh, around you. You're a little bit alone. Does it look like all of the charges are still in the wand? It does look like most of the charges are still in there. And right. there's even enough uh, wind coming up. And so your hair, uh, your tabaxi hair is all kind of flowing <sighs> as you're standing there. Flowing there. Your too? robes are flowing. Everything looks amazing. And I go, hey, stupid. And I point the wand at the doppelganger. All right. Roll a percentile die. 90. 90. (laughs) So, uh, a stream 
of 30 uh, gems flow <laughs> out of the wand of wonder. <laughs> so diamonds, emeralds, uh, rubies, all tinkle all around you. Uh, and uh, the halfling matron behind you says, oh, I'll take one of those as payment if you don't mind. And Go she, for it. she grabs one. Uh, so yeah, you're rich. Does it do any of them like hit the doppelganger? Like, no, can they it do just, some it, damage. It really only goes like ten inches out of the wand of wonder and sprinkles all around you. Ten so inches. Yeah, you're just you're almost uh, uh, swimming in jewels. All right. Uh, okay, I said, hey, stupid, and I try again. Okay. <laughs> Uh, in the meantime, uh, just you know, that as I'm narrating this, the doppelganger is still swimming, and you see uh, a few more of the Griffin Riders shoot fireballs, uh, which explode around it. Uh, it does seem like it is uh, leaning a little bit, a little bit injured uh, against one of the buildings. Okay, well, I mean, I just, I'll, I'm gonna use the Wand of Wonder one more time. One more time. Let's see what happens. Eighty. Do you want me to do any other? I just rolled the percentile. Should I do the? the yeah, do the other one too. Eighty-three. You are invisible. Oh, hell yeah! So you blink into uh, non-visibility. Uh, you don't necessarily see that, but you're, you're you're enough of an arcane sorcerer that you're able to know that you are now uh, unseen. I am going to go run towards the doppelganger. All right. And so uh, the halfling, um, you know, pockets one of these gems uh, and then uh, you disappear and you, she doesn't know what happens, but you see her kind of uh, start cabling all these up and then even more um, uh, bystanders start grabbing all the gems behind you. That's cool. Have fun. All right. We'll see how you use your invisibility to your advantage next time. I can't wait. <laughs>